welcome to the Independent Artist Podcast, sponsored by the National Association of Independent Artists. Also sponsored by Zapplication. I'm Will Armstrong, and I'm a mixed media artist. I'm Douglas Sigworth, glassblower. Join our conversations with professional working artists. <laughs> welcome to the show, everybody. I am back from Miami, and... I don't know where the hell I am, actually. Will, how are you doing? Uh, I'm doing fine. I haven't gone anywhere. I'm I'm right here in my daughter's bedroom. My ex has been on the road with her artwork selling down in Florida. She's been gone for a month. So my uh, daughter's studio slash room definitely looks like she's been here for a month. All right. Well, it's not a video podcast, so mm. uh, that's totally fine. Nor is it smell-o-vision. Thank the Lord. I need a shower. <laughs> Well, you just got back from walking those dogs. Yeah. Uh, they won't be skipping around needing your attention for a little while here. So that's we'll good see. news. You know, it was coldest day of the year, honestly, out there. The really? winds are like 30 miles an hour and it's 15 out there. So um, it's like uh, Minnesota, Wisconsin weather out there. So, Oh, no, don't even get me started. <laughs> so listen, OK, I was in Miami yesterday morning. We drove up to Tampa. We flew home. We landed about nine o'clock. But winter weather storm advisory, vehicles in the ditch everywhere. We couldn't even come home. So we had one more night in a hotel in Minneapolis. So, oh, man. Yeah, 30 miles from our house. Did you stay at the airport? Yep, we stayed at the airport. So we got a hotel and we got an Uber at like 5 in the morning to try and beat rush hour because we had to get home for some stuff today. Good Lord. And that was taking our lives into our own hands, I'll tell you. Why, the the roads still a little treacherous? They were terrible. And the driver, I think he was kind of pissed <laughs> that he accepted a job that took him way away from the airport. I mean, oh. he had to go 30, 40 miles. So he was still going freeway speeds and were fishtailing and both Renee and I were thinking we were going to end up stuck in the ditch somewhere. Yeah. And then what do you do? I don't know, man. That's tough. That's I mean, you had stuff to get home. Do you guys ever stay down in Florida in between shows? Like, what's your next show? How long's the break? It's only a week. Uh, we're we're back for Gasparilla, um, so we have one weekend off. Okay. Do you guys ever stay down and and do uh, the vacation thing in between shows? It's all different because before COVID. Renee wasn't consistently on the road with me because we had children who, well, our youngest still needed her around. Right. And then right when COVID hit, he was old enough that he didn't need mom around to keep everything in line and together. So gotcha. Then, Party you time. know, she got, yeah. So she got <laughs> sidelined there. So this is really kind of our first full year of everywhere we go. It's together as partnership. All right. She's sick of you yet? She has every reason to be sick of me, but I, she hasn't shown any, uh, any so indication. So do I, Renee. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> uh, okay, fine. I'll just go crawl under a rock somewhere. No. Not at all. Not at all. So you're back from Coconut Grove. It's nice to see you. What? Um, how was the show? You had a, had a pretty good weekend? Weekend was good. I have no complaints. I had a good drive. I should say I had an uneventful drive after that uh, last uh, trip we did out to California. I think we we banked all of the road drama for a lifetime. So as I've said to others, don't get cocky. <laughs> Right. The universe is lying in wait. Yeah, waiting to give you that uh, that mm -hmm. one-two punch when you feel like you're in the clear. Well, our good friend who wasn't in the clear was Ben Fry. His van broke down in Orlando. No 
Yeah. Oh, did he have to rent one in Orlando to, to get the rest of the way? Yes. So it turns out his van is, is dead man walking. But yeah, he was so close and yet so far, he wasn't able to set up until the morning of the show. Oh, my God. And Brutal. it was a nightmare waiting for tow truck and getting the to the bottom of what was wrong with it. But he did it. You know what, though? I uh, also saw a really fancy bright blue ribbon in his booth by the end of the weekend, too. So uh, with great trouble comes great reward, I guess. Yeah, it, it was really well deserved. His work is just amazing. And I saw the image of the booth shot and everything with the, with the blue ribbon. Everything show looks nice with a nice big blue ribbon on nice it. Nice shiny it? ribbon on it. Yeah. yeah. So he's doing, he did good. And I was happy to be uh, near him and Camille and our next door neighbors Farhana and Rod were just such pleasant people. Did you just name drop the show director by first name without her last? That's Camille. We had tea. No, I, <laughs> you know that Ben has a girlfriend named Camille. Mm, I did not know she was there. Did you get to meet her? Yes. Uh-huh. Nice. Yeah. Very yep. cool. So as we know, our good friend in uh, artist company say, he says he never has to do this in his personal life. He never has to say me and Camille and then clarify it's not the director of Coconut Grove. It is my girlfriend, Camille. <laughs> right. <laughs> but yeah, so. <laughs> so that's how you got the best in show. Way to go, Ben. <laughs> but yeah, so the um, Farhana and Rod, wonderful, kind people. We could just sit and have these awesome conversations all weekend, which we did. So that was a nice time. Excellent. I love those guys. Uh, they are up in the mountains of Virginia. Rod uh, had such complimentary things to say about the podcast, and he did let me know, Will, that your scripts are shit. <laughs> and that he does believe that I need to to stop giving you all of the the mean lines. Mm, that's just that's the part I play. <laughs> I'm gonna break down the third wall. <laughs> well, good. It sounded like you have a, a nice little neighborhood there in Coconut Grove. Was it one long road this year? Or did they change the layout a little bit? Uh, layout was pretty similar. The only thing that it was fewer exhibitors, so That's we nice. were more spaced out. And I think there were typically two rows of booths down Panam. Is it Pan Am or Pan, Pan American? Am, I think. Yeah. Anyway, so it was a single row down. Yeah. Nope. It was good. And apparently the show was cursed by a witch. Huh. Okay. Tell me more. Well, so Loden was a little tricky. Camille. Love Camille. Name drop the show director again, if I if I may. <laughs> Give us her last name if we're going to name drop. Let's go first and last. You want me to massacre her last name, you do? Yeah, put it on us. Okay, Camille, I apologize if I mispronounced your name. I'm going to pronounce it Camille Marchez. She's been laying out shows for Winter Park for 20-some years. So this isn't her first rodeo. But, yeah. but so she took over at the Grove, and the setup, there was a section of the show where the spreadsheet went haywire. And the booth numbering was wrong. You can anticipate what kind of troubles that's going to give when, you know, the first two artists set up and then the other ones come and they yeah. don't have a spot and it's Dominoes. just chaos. Yeah. Right. On down the line. Yeah. So she did her absolute best. She understands it's a it's a shitty situation for artists to come into and she did her best sure. to try and solve it and be reasonable and make accommodations. And But that was a pretty hard thing at setup. And then she gets home. And she's got this long email 
from a woman who says she is a witch and she's put a curse on the show. It literally goes on for pages and pages. This woman says her name is Sandra Ramillion, and she's a Haitian uh, witch living in Lauderdale. I don't want any. I don't want any of this. I don't even know if I want to hear anymore. Okay, uh, so why is she angry at the show? It's basically crazy ramblings, but it just happened to coincide with this funky setup deal. But the next day, the show opens and things were were good, and everything went off pretty flawlessly from that point. On. So obviously, this is just the ramblings of insanity coming through, but it just seemed like no, a... I'm glad I wasn't there. <laughs> so the witch made setup goes slightly askew. A yes. couple of the numbers that were off. Our, our boy Ben's uh, van broke down, but besides that, you know, did she make the portageons run out of toilet paper or the water run blood? <laughs> well, one of the problems you end up having when the, the people coming through the gate are higher than normal is, you know. You, know, you start going through the vital services like toilet paper a lot faster than uh, than as planned. So yes, the, uh, the the sanitation services were having a little trouble keeping up with the masses. Let's mm. just say, all right, the mass, uh, the mass. Of the masses. All right, sounds good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I wouldn't know how to run a show, but you got to have empathy for the people that do. Yeah, all I know about Portageons is I don't want them next to my booth. For sure. And no, they were I mean, they were placed in their normal spots. That was all fine. You need to have a, a cool, level-headed director who problems are going to happen, and you just have to deal with them head on. You're going to know that people are going to be mad that there's no toilet paper in the, in the port of Johns, sure. or you're going to know that some mistake is going to happen, and you've got to put out a lot of fires. And uh, one big fire that got put out at the Grove this weekend, which people are talking about online is there was an artist who wasn't in his booth selling his own work. He was at another mm. show with a rep in the booth. and So he was double dipping? He, he got, uh, dipping. got busted double dipping? Yep. He got sent packing. I was talking to my wife earlier today, and that's what happens when you have cheaters. And you have people behind the scenes that may not speak up, but yeah. they're going to be upset about the things going forward. It's like, I know jewelers who uh, import their stuff and it just hasn't really been proven. You've got people who are double dipping and trying to show at Naples and at Coconut Grove. You have watercolor or oil artists who are jurying in under digital. It's all a, sh a short-sighted business model, and it, it had me thinking – the burden of doing that is that a lot of those guys just don't have any friends. Like they can't be mm -hmm. honest with other people. Mm -hmm. You know, you can't really tell people what you're doing. You're not going to be like, like if I have a, I crushed it at uh, Fall Bayou and you mm -hmm. and I are friends and we mm -hmm. got to talk about it. I just had right. another big sale from that. And it's like, okay, Sweet. my business model is all on the up and up. So I don't yeah. have to hide anything from my friends. Yeah. And I get to actually have friends and be honest with them. So you're not constantly covering your lies. They have to operate like an island, keep all the stories straight so they don't oh, get, yeah. they get out. And it's just exhausting. You know, you have people backstage rooting for you to fail constantly and they that guy that that uh, and I don't want to mention him by name, but the guy that got booted from the Grove is apparently busy at work scrubbing his show schedule from his website, and he's gotten himself in trouble. So uh, he's and, in the and soup. I got no he's in the soup, yeah, and, it, the and soup. it was caused by himself. It's like the rules are clear: no double dipping, don't send reps. So you got busted. Don't act like you're not doing it or you haven't ever done it or whatever. It it happened and. 
don't frickin' do it. And understand that people are going to be pissed at you when you do. Or not give a rip if you fall, you know? Yeah, right. I mean, I don't know what the guy's situation is. We walk a mile in each other's shoes, and who knows what has pushed this guy to the brink. But if, you know, on the front page, it just seems like greed, mm, yeah. you know? Yeah. You look at it by the surface value, it's like, oh, well, it's just greedy, and you're trying to do more, and that's not what this business is about. It's about the personal connections that we make with our clientele, and you can't do that with a rep. And cheater's going to go. Yeah. They got to go down. Sorry. Yeah. So, and I think it brings up good conversations. I mean, it showed that we had a director who was willing to follow their rules. There are a lot of directors who are afraid of that confrontation, afraid of backlash, afraid of what if they get it wrong? And how can we create systems that can make it a little easier for these directors? And it's a good conversation that's going on on the NAIA forum. So anyone who wants to jump on Facebook and, and read and participate and jump in on that, I think it's a good conversation moving forward on how to tackle this problem. Yeah, it's a great conversation. And I think it's kind of funny because right now you have two kinds of artists. You have, well... Right here on the podcast, you got my boy Douglas, who mm -hmm. uh, is headed out down south with his lovely wife, Renee, to sell the work that they've been cranking out all winter. And they are just knee deep in art shows and production and doing the thing. Then you have artists like me who are trying to make work in the studio, who don't have a show until March or April, who have a little bit of time on their hands. So it's interesting to see like the Facebook it starts spiking in the red like this time of year when people aren't quite out on the shows. Oh. And so the people that are because are, they got I'm the getting, time on their hands and yeah, you're saying they got time on their hands mm -hmm. to get a little shitty, and <laughs> dig down <laughs> deep. And it's like, you know what? I'm going to be the one that makes a stand. So you're seeing some people make some stands and get some work done to kind of weed out some of the cheaters. And nobody likes cheaters. I just want to say that. You having that time on your hands, you did a really good thing with helping an emerging kind of a brand new artist at the Grove get their feet wet and have a successful first event at a good show like that. So, you know, I appreciate you bringing that up. And I do have a lot of plans with the NAIA with the Emerging Artists Program. The Emerging Artists Program is not in the future going to look like Will holds your hand through the entire <laughs> show process and tells you how to rent pro panels and tells you how many zip ties you're going to need. Hey, everybody, Will is going to read the packets for you and tell you exactly what's in the packet. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not. I am not. But, you know, we talked about Camille a little bit and we're, we're pumping her up because she just had a great first grove. You know, it's not her first rodeo, but she really cared about this kid and he got juried into the show and he'd never even been to an art show. So wow. it's not always going to be ground up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. You know, I mean, it's not always going to be like, well, here's a picture of an art show. Uh, but that's the way this guy was. And uh, from all tell, he had a had a really good weekend. So. Well, that's good. Yeah. I mean, you 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 helped get him the foundational tools, you know, the, the display and get him set up and give him the tips that he might need. And then he could make the rest of it happen. So, yeah, that's really I great. Mean, I'm really happy you did that. Well, I mean, it's about the next generation and, and trying to keep the the wheels on our industry because I want to keep doing this probably for another 20 years. Uh, you've been doing this for a while. Uh, we've seen shows come and go. We've yeah. seen shows that uh, don't want to do it anymore. Uh, we've seen shows that have circled the drain, the shows that used to be excellent. So I that are no longer excellent. They've they've let their 
um, quality slip that we don't attend any longer. But uh, one thing I found kind of interesting this weekend, which I hadn't had before, I don't know if people have, are so used to like Uber Eats or saying, hey, I want this and it's going to be delivered to me. But I was getting texts and phone calls from my card saying, hey, hey, I was at the show and you had this one piece for $150. Yeah, can you just drive that up to Boca Raton and drop that off for me? And I'll be like, um, no, uh, actually, you can order that on our website. Yeah, but I don't want to pay shipping. So they want you to spend $60 in gas? I had five or six people. I funneled them to the website and they had to pay for shipping. But yeah, they, they were all, they wanted me to like do the rounds. Now, this isn't like going to hang a cluster of $2,500 wall grouping or something. This sure. is like a $150 Piece. So, how much does it cost to make Douglas dance? If you're not <laughs> dancing that for one fifty, <laughs> there is a threshold, right? Yeah, there I, is. Mine a... is like, yeah, mine is like my wingspan. If it's bigger than my wingspan, then I'll, uh, <laughs> then I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm doing. You know, you know, you can fit that under your arm and walk it to the car. So, Will's not delivering it. But if it's wide enough for the arms to be wide, you'll you'll That's bring right. it to him. Absolutely. No, that that is an interesting question. It's like, well, what do you – you know what I, I will typically do? Um, and you can probably do this with, with Renee being there is like just find the closest entrance. Yeah. And a lot of times people will be like when they do buy a big piece or, or just – I mean I don't really sell too many small ones. But, um, you know, they're buying a, a nice piece from me. I just ask them like, well, how do you how do you want it to your car? You can carry it or, you know, you just bought a, a nice piece of artwork. No reason to carry it yourself. Yeah, for sure. And they're like, well, you'll just walk away from your booth. I'm like, uh, yeah. It's not <laughs> like you're a jeweler or something where your That's whole right. booth is going to walk away. That's my 2D privilege speaking again. <laughs> well, speaking of jewelers, you had a pretty uh, interesting, <laughs> exciting talk with your friend Betty Yeager from Minneapolis, Minnesota. Yep. Got Betty on this weekend talking about a little privilege. We're going to get hot. We got a hot one, Douglas. Okay. Okay. So this is the point in the show where we we offer the disclaimer, where we say that the viewpoints of our guests are of theirs alone. They do not reflect <laughs> either of the hosts. They may or may not reflect the host. They may. <laughs> they, they, they may or they may not. Yep. You're trying to wiggle out of being a 50-year-old cisgendered white male, Douglas. That's what you're doing. Oh, am I? <laughs> <laughs> now he's dancing, ladies and gentlemen. No. We just want to let everybody know that uh, she has some opinions, which we love and we find really refreshing that she speaks her mind and has her opinions, but it's not going to make everybody feel comfortable. And so it <laughs> is okay to disagree, but it is not necessarily the opinions of our sponsors or the NEIA or ZAP. You know what? We're trying to cover ourselves in case somebody disagrees, but nobody's always going to agree with every point that our guests make. What's great about Betty is you're going to catch a different side, a different view of somebody that you might not necessarily know. And that's what I love about the podcast. We're mm -hmm. sitting down and talking to people that just digging deep and getting to know people. And that's what I want to do with my conversations is just to let uh, another voice be heard. So if you want to talk about things, uh, use our Facebook page. You can jump on and start a topic. Uh, keep it friendly. Keep it fresh. Uh, we will be, I don't know, we love interacting with the, the listeners and interacting with our fellow artists. Again, we're just doing this for fun and to get the voices heard. In every story that we talk to, 
it, there is something about it. There's some kernel that really encapsulates us as a community. And what I love about your talk with Betty is that she really has like no apologies. She will say, I am blatantly supporting the community that has always had my back. And I think that loyalty and that respect is awesome. And and she has that right. We all have that right to make decisions for ourselves as independent artists, as independent business people making a living. So it was really cool and really fun. What a fun personality to, to hear her story. Yeah, she's an amazing human. And uh, I'm looking forward to you guys hearing the talk. <laughs> looking forward to the blowback. <laughs> 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 this episode of the Independent Artist Podcast is called Fuck You, Here's Betty. <laughs> All right, here we are. Betty Yeager from Minneapolis, Minnesota. This episode of the Independent Artist Podcast is brought to you by Zap, the digital application service where artists and art festivals connect. I see here there are some new features with the events list category through Zap, which will help us with looking up new shows to fill a spot in our schedule. You know, I feel like I should have something to say, but I wasn't really listening to you because I'm looking at the events list right now and it's pretty cool. <laughs> okay, so you drop the menu down and there at the bottom, go scrolling all the way, about third thing down in the smaller print, it just says events list. That's right. All of the shows appear here regardless of their application deadline. You can use filtering and sorting to narrow down your search to find the right show that fills your desired time frame or location. I know a lot of people love that calendar. I like seeing the list of events. I like scrolling through and doom scrolling <laughs> late at night. It's like online dating. They don't let you swipe left or right, but you can figure out who you want to date coming up here. It's my buddy. <laughs> Good to see you. Good to see your face. How are you? Good. Let me uh, start this recording. The room sounds good. Let's do a little test. Testies, testies. One, two, three. <laughs> All right. We're going to have a good time. <laughs> <laughs> so how you been? Yeah, you know, okay. You doing okay? Everything? Uh, how's life? Life is okay. You know, it's weird in the bubble, but uh, all things considered, I don't have too many complaints. Yeah, I mean, you are in a bubble. Like, you're not doing shows at all, are you? Nope. No one can hear you shake your head. No, that's this no. is a podcast. No. <laughs> no. You're no. not doing anything. Did you even apply for anything? No. Yeah. Are you, are you bummed about that? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, you can still apply to some shit. Yeah, it's true. Sometimes, I mean, I don't know. It's like I worked so hard to get into those shows that I was doing. And now it's been two years since I've applied to anything. And part of me feels like I, I don't have to reinvent the wheel, but it's like I probably should get new jury shots. Sure. I should probably be applying with things that haven't sold. Do you really think that's the case? I don't know. I feel like I finally got a good photographer and I finally got good images, but those pieces are... God knows where anymore. Right. Some of them are, are, are completely gone. Just poof. Who knows? Walk away. Bye. <laughs> <laughs> what I love about you is like, I remember, well, we first met, but then I knew you were at ACC Baltimore and I was there helping my wife, Susan Elnora Jewelry, set her work up. And Susie just looks her head up. She goes, Betty's here. And I was like, what? And I'm like, she goes, shh, listen. And then we listen. 
And that's what we heard like three aisles over. I'm like, Betty's coming. And then it was like a thunderstorm. It got a little louder. And I'm like, oh, yeah. Here she comes. It's coming. It's and you're a force. I mean, and that's the thing. You're a social force, too. And so it it kind of freaks me out that you're not out there doing shows. You've totally reinvented yourself as far as who you sell to and and how do you do it? How to get the goods. Yeah. But you don't seem to be having any trouble. Nah. My my (laughs) people know where to find me. They know how to find me. How'd you do it? I think it's because I only sold in person once upon a time. I don't have a website. My website's a Tumblr that I haven't touched in (laughs) two years, maybe. I think the other day somebody was like, yeah, your website's not working. And I'm like, what website? Uh, Right. There's a reason that's not working. It doesn't exist. Yeah, it's basically a page with my contact info. I think that putting myself in that position once upon a time when I was doing shows has only helped me yeah. make a little scratch. I never wanted a website where you could just go and see my entire collection of work. Yeah. Uh, I didn't even know how to ship shit before the pandemic. <laughs> so I told everyone that I only shipped through FedEx as a deterrent because it would cost them $96 to have something shipped. <laughs> nice. Two states over. That's not the case anymore. Thank you, USPS. No. You have not lost <laughs> any of my packages, and I love you. <laughs> not yet, right? Don't get cocky. Yeah, I know, but that's what I love about you too. It's like there's something very kind of punk rock, uh, rock and roll about your work, uh, about your imaging, about the way you go about your business. And what I think is cool about that is that you refuse to kind of change that, even though you've had to change your your business model. Yeah. Uh, I've always kind of done what I wanted. You could probably ask Susie to attest to that because <laughs> yeah. she's known me for almost 20 years. Right. And, you know, it's like if you want a boogie, you got to pay the band. But I'm the band and I'm the boogie machine. So, like, <laughs> it's not going to be hard to title this episode. <laughs> <laughs> so i mean yeah i mean it's like you you've got this thing you're out there on instagram i've always felt um and i think you're the same way that if you want me you got to meet me and you, it's it's like we have to have a personal connection and if i'm having a shitty show then i'm looking at myself and be like well i'm sitting in my chair my arms are crossed uh i'm not engaging with anybody i'm not particularly likable uh okay get off your ass get up engage with the people open it up and and be yourself, you know? And yeah. how are you doing that online? I think I'm still following my own rules. You know, uh, for the longest time, I feel like I've heard, you got to do this. You got to post every day. You got to, you got to make reels. You got to do hashtags. And it's like, I don't have to do any of that if I don't want to. And you can follow that if you want, because it works for other people. But I think as artists, we all started doing this because we didn't, want to have a fucking boss we don't want to have somebody telling us what to do when to do it and what pot to shit in and i still that whole thing of you got an audience fall and let them catch you right and that continues to work and you know i don't make normal shit and i don't work with normal people and always had that freak flag flying pretty high and i think it just got a little higher 
<laughs> you definitely like have. And that's what I love about you. And that's what I loved about you immediately when I met you. And it's like, it took you about 20 minutes, I feel like, when you came on the art show scene before people really knew you and, and were like, oh my God, you know Betty Yeager? I'm like, oh yeah, I know Betty Yeager. <laughs> And that's what I miss. Like you're kind of a younger up and coming badass. And then all of a sudden you're not doing it anymore. It's like, um, do you think you'll get back to it? Or are you just enjoying what you're? Oh, absolutely. I hate this shit. I hate being by myself. I don't have an audience. It's like, you know, we make this cool stuff and that in-person banter, learning about new people and learning about new experiences and being able to share your stories with people and see where you have similar landing points or touch points. Um, I miss human beings. I miss my friends. I mean, I went to Des Moines and I didn't tell anyone because I just wanted to see my friends and get some fucking hugs. That was amazing. You came down from the Twin Cities area. You're up, your studio's up there and you dropped down to Des Moines for the day. And Mm -hmm. I think you just did a one, like down and back. You didn't even hang and party with us later, did you? Mm -mm. I didn't. Part of it was like, I don't know if I have become uh, such a Luddite and such a homebody. I didn't know what, what would happen to me when I got around a bunch of people. Like yeah. pandemic, yes, but also as a single human being who's like right. three really close friends moved away during the pandemic. Like I didn't know if I still had it and I didn't know if I still wanted to be around that many people because doing an art fair is, is a lot of people. That's not just like four people rolling through my studio in a four hour time period. Yeah. I miss shows. I miss my friends. I miss meeting new people. I miss learning new stuff. How'd that feel for you? Was it was it weird? Was it yeah. like like get back into the public and walk in the street and because Des Moines really don't give weird. a shit about the masks outside and anything else. Because yeah. it was like it's like no pandemic, Des Moines was on. Yeah. 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 No no yeah. No rules, no regulations. <laughs> Just kind of raw dogging it. <laughs> it was Right. <laughs> I think that's their new city motto, actually. I'm 35 and raw dog it in Des Moines. I never even applied to the Des Moines show because I didn't have like a quote unquote professional tent. So I was like, ah, you know, maybe one day I'll go visit it and see what it's all about. Susie showed up in a, uh, in an easy up, I think, and they moved her to a rental. But they, uh, yeah, they, they're particular. Those Des Moines yeah. uh, storms are no joke. I mean, storms are no joke, and I think they're only getting worse, but it's not like I'm coming coming in hot with a Walmart tent. I mean, I've done these <laughs> right. shows a million times, and I do it as safe as possible, you know? Yeah. And when I have to set up my jewelry, and it takes me three hours in the morning to do that, and an hour to put it away at night, the last thing I want to do is spend an extra three hours putting up a fucking tent. Yep. I hear you. But you're safe. You're out there, and if the weather yes. wants you, the weather takes you. Yeah, right. Wind. That's one thing I don't miss is fucking wind. Wind can eat my ass. <laughs> uh, you know, I used to love wind. I used to love sitting up and now it just like now it gives me heart palpitations. I'm yeah. like, oh god. <laughs> and at our age we don't need any more of that shit. Uh, no, we don't, right? I I had this one, I'll tell you a quick story and I want to make it about me. This this one's about you, but I was doing Greenville Artisphere and I was up at the top of the hill. And I was between, kind of between two buildings, so it was creating a wind tunnel anyway. And then when a storm came through, it forced through the wind, and I'm hanging, my 
big dumb ass off the top of the tent and I'm going like Captain Ahab, you want me? You fucking take me! And I'm screaming against the wind and it's like the it's everything's cutting in. I look behind me, there's a burger joint and if I let go of the tent, it's going to go right into the porch where all these you know 50 people are hanging and I'm never going to be able to work again because I'm going to be sued. And I'm sitting there hanging and I realize like the storm is over just as quick as it began and I realize that only me was affected. So I'm just hanging on this tent like a maniac screaming and everybody else is like, what's his fucking problem? What is his problem? It's just a, it's a little drizzle. What you got in your coffee, Mr. Armstrong? That's right. People, <laughs> people ask it, man. Hey, speaking of what's in your coffee, this is how I picture you working. You got a joint in the corner of your mouth. You're squinting against the smoke. You got a hammer in your hand and you're just like, fucking let's go. Just bang. She's like, yeah, I worked with her. That's good. How's the weed work for you in your working process? I know you're a fan. Fantastically. Yeah. You know, I got a bunch of different strains that do a bunch of different shit for me. I got some edibles. I do not drink when I am making right. jewelry. I did it once on accident and I have permanent nerve damage in my thumb. Uh, I don't even drink that much anymore because it was such a social activity, but weed keeps me steady. I don't know how my hands are so steady with how much coffee I drink. Yeah. It's great. It's not like it, it's doing the work for me. I'm a, I'm an occasional smoker, very rarely. And I remember you passed something on to me at one show. And I went out on the back porch <laughs> and I smoked it. And I did not sleep that night. I was like, my head was going a million miles an hour. I feel like I, I was hanging out with Snoop Dogg and Willie Nelson. And I just was like, Jesus Christ. <laughs> I can't. I can't. What the fuck was that? I got to remember that my strains are very strong. Yeah. You Warner brother. What's really happening? Sorry what? about that. I'm so sorry. Not at all. I, but it made me aware of the fact that, you know, I'm not sitting around with my friends playing music and hanging out and just whatever. This is a different thing. Like, what are you smoking, Betty? A steady strain of stativa when I'm at the yeah. studio. Really, uh. I think I probably have a very special pH in my body of ADD, ADHD, uh, you know, a little seasonal depression. Uh, <laughs> right. I don't mean to the- laugh. I'm totally with you. No, everyone's got their different shit, man. Ah. Western medicine's never done a damn thing for me except for get me high in the way that I don't want to. Yep. And growing up in Washington State, I think that THC might have just been in my bloodstream. And, it might uh, have been. I don't I don't really do anything else. Every once in a while I'll have a little shot of whiskey. Sure. But that stativa is an active ingredient, right? Is that like So you got two different strains of weed. You got stativa, which is a little more active, and then you got indica, which means in the couch. Which <laughs> right. probably puts most folks to sleep or relaxes them. I drink coffee. Yeah. I mean, I've always kept weird hours and I've finally come to a point where I'm like, I should have no shame about getting up at noon or one and just fucking no keeping those wheels turning until two or three in the morning. There's there's uh, something about the nighttime that feels like the right time for me to be creating, almost like I'm like a magic jewelry gremlin just like stoking <laughs> the fire all night long. <laughs> Rumpelstiltskin and you wake up in the morning and you get a pile of jewels. <laughs> Pretty much. Sometimes that does happen. Yeah. <clears throat> I'll work through the night and go home because I'm tired and come back and be like, who made this? 
That's amazing. See, like I have to stop. Like I'm, I think I am the weirdo, and I've mentioned this before. But I, I work bankers hours, and I don't know what that's about. But like that's when I feel my most productive, and then like I am just this weird nine to five guy, and that that's like that kind of fits the model, I guess, for me. But I just do I it. Don't and think then that's the light, so weird. Yeah, but the light affects me too, and I hope it doesn't you. But like that, I can't work late at night. Really, the light changes. Mm. I don't like that. I prefer more the natural light for finishing and i don't know it's tough there's definitely like i don't like do i have any rules i tend to not set diamonds at nighttime because the daylight is much better so you Mm. can really see like what the stones are doing and i also tend to not work on customers jewelry late at night in case something wild happens so like custom stuff yeah so i'm just like let my freak flag fly late at night and it works for me how do you balance custom work being kind of mostly an online guy and doing the shit that you want to do because that custom work takes me 10 times longer than the shit that i want to make yeah or even the perception of it like oh god i gotta do this stuff and you i think about it for a month and i think about how hard it's going to be and then i do it and it takes me an hour and i'm like what do you what are you fucking around for like yeah but that's work you were working right i mean i mean it's all work that whole like do something you love and it never feels like a day where that's bullshit. But also no, like, I love what I do. And I think at this point I can confess that it does come pretty naturally getting yeah. weird and trying stuff. Someone recently told me that I have a gift and that is not being afraid of fucking up. Hmm. Like that I'm is not, a gift. I'm like, I don't, I don't care. Like as long as I'm not melting down the same thing in the same way, as long as yeah. I learn from each mistake, I'm not scared of making mistakes. I'm not scared of, Losing time. Materials is a different thing. If I break right. a one carat diamond. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> uh, there's tears, right? Definitely. But your work is not, you know, we're not talking about Dave Gilletti here. We're talking about Betty Yeager. There's something wide open about your work. Dave has this precision that's very, like if one line is out of place, then you know it if you're looking at his work. Whereas your work, it's like one line is out of place. Fuck you. Here's another one. It's more like or, jazz. Or if something is too symmetrical, I'm like, oh, I don't like you. I got to fuck you up. I got to like toss you across the room. <laughs> this is bugging me. Like, ooh, right. Those two things it's- next to each other look like eyeballs or titties. I can't stand it. Like, <laughs> <laughs> So with the, that custom work, is there that pressure because it's somebody else's perception of your work or do you still get to go wide open? I think that I have curated a really cool clientele base. And it is. is very, very few and far between where I have a client that is so rigid that it's like, I need this this way and I need this color diamond in this exact size. And I yeah. think that I have taken so much time in finding my people and having conversations with them before starting the project where I can say, hey, this is a really good idea. I want to make sure that you're not concrete on having this 90 degree angle here. And if you just give me a little artistic freedom i promise i won't make something that sucks that's amazing like standing in front of my work people can see what i do they can kind of see that there's no actual formula to it and if you try and put me in a box it's not gonna work Uh uh-uh. no that's not gonna uh-huh. go well for anybody <laughs> I don't so let's it. talk about your people you know you're you're mostly online now is it mostly just instagram yeah i sell on instagram through my stories about once a month or so. 
some things happened to me in my formative years of working with Susie at Studio Vincent, where I saw a couple of really talented artists at the beginning of the internet get totally ripped off. Like yeah. I saw a company be like, we're going to do this great thing. We're going to put everything online in a shopping cart and you can just push buttons. And mm. someone copied all their designs, mass manufactured them in China and made cheap, shitty replicas. That was the early 2000s. Yeah, brutal. And that scared the shit out of me. Not like, I'm so cool, everyone's going to copy me, but more so like, I don't want one of my clients wearing my rings, going out into public and seeing someone with a cheap replica of it. Yeah. And so that's one of the reasons why I don't want a website with, I mean, it would be like, for me, it would be like standing naked in front of a bunch of straight white cis people. (laughs) (laughs) I don't, I don't, I I don't want it all out there dangling in the wind. Yeah. I hear you. So, so okay, you, but you're putting it out on Instagram and you're doing your stories. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, are these people that found you on Instagram or are they people that met you in person? You kind of cultivate relationships and then they follow you through Instagram. Yes. Got it. <laughs> Everything all little, the time. A little bit of both. Also, I feel like uh, something I've always said and I've always believed is I get my best clients through my best clients. I've never nice. really spent a dime on advertisements. And so if I have a good client, I will treat them well. I will make sure they get the really good shit or first dibs on a new batch of diamonds. Uh, I'm not talking discounts, but like cultivating a relationship. And when I send them a package, be like, Hey, there's like three business cards in there. If you don't mind putting one in your wallet, because you obviously really dig my shit and you're going to tell your male person or your sister-in-law or some stranger on the street that's like, what the fuck is that? Right on. Yeah. So this? this is why I wanted to talk to you too about this because like there's no set way. I mean, you could do the Betty way. You got enough work. You're turning shit down. You're turning down the custom work. I, my customs have been closed for eight months. Amazing. <laughs> and do you, you, they're not really closed though, right? Can, can I, I mean, eat through? You know, a cute queer person is like, hey, I want to propose to my sweetie. And I'm like, fuck yeah, straight people out of the way. You get well <laughs> Sorry. You always tag your stuff. Not at all. Never, you don't, don't apologize. You never, you always tag yourself queer artist. Why is that important? Taking care of a community that's always been pushed to the side. Taking care of our own. I don't know. Yeah. I'm the, I'm the fucking boss. I think that visibility is really important. I think taking care of the community that's always taking care of me is really important. And also maybe to keep my DMs free and clear of people being like, hey. Hey, hello, ladies. Hey, yeah, don't fucking call me a lady. I got your lady <laughs> right here. Like, right. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Yeah, but inclusivity is super important to you, and it is on a broader scale. And it's like, um, here I am doing the podcast. You know, Douglas and I were born one day apart in 1970. We found that out later. So here we are, a couple of 51 year old white dudes making our art and we want to be more inclusive what do we do to make things a little bit more inclusive too you learn you read some books you get the access to the same shit i do that's why when people like how do you learn that it's like open your fucking ears and pay attention to what's going on and you decide what's important in your world and you decide how you're going to 
include other people and make sure that black people and brown people and queer people and trans people and ace people have a space in what you're doing instead of definitely catering to an audience that has always been catered to the world is run by rich white straight cisgendered dudes and their time is fucking up they've had their spotlight and if one aging queer cisgendered woman that be me can make people feel a little more special in this fucked up world i'm gonna do it i'm gonna go out of my way to make sure that you know their light's a little brighter they got a safe space even if it is on the internet like whatever we make our own rules i feel like my parents always taught me rule number one don't be an asshole be a decent human being like that's this the DNA. Basis. Like that's the baseline. Yeah. Don't be an asshole. Yeah, it's pretty it's fucking not that easy. hard. No, it's not. And it's also really easy to be an asshole and close yourself off into a bubble and not learn. And I think that sounds lonely and boring. And I got the lonely part covered. I'm just trying to make sure I'm not boring. <laughs> <laughs> You're definitely not boring, Daddy. You've never been boring. <laughs> Clifton Henri earlier episode. I can't remember if he said this to me on the podcast, but it's like you can't love black culture if you don't love black folks. It's such a great baseline too, but it's it seems so simple, but so many people fuck it up. Yeah. I mean it's easy to close yourself off from the world and be like, I know what I know and I'm good with it. And I'm just like, Yeah, I want to learn new shit every day. I'm six feet above, not six feet under. Like Why would you not want to grow more and learn more and try and be a better person for the people in your life and also for the people on the outskirts of your life or people you don't even fucking know? You don't have to know somebody to try and take care of them. You don't have to know someone personally to want to make sure that they're going to be okay. Like It's not that hard to be a good person. I think it takes more effort to be a closed-off asshole. Amen. It really does. Right. Nice talk. See you. <laughs> Good night, everybody. Yeah, thank you, Detroit. <laughs> Fargo Rock City. <laughs> One of the things that I love about you bringing that inclusivity into your work and into your posts on Instagram is that a lot of times when you do those sales, you you like to give back to the community, you know, and you have these things and you're like, you're bringing that back. Like, talk to me a little bit about that and, and why that's important. I think that highlighting marginalized communities is important because I'm pretty sure anyone looks at me, they're probably like, oh, what a nice straight white girl. Like, I am the furthest thing from straight, which is great. It's a nice cover sometimes, but also yeah. I'm going to use that straight white girl power to help people. Kind of like, you know, when you are asked to white man it up. Yeah, <laughs> totally. <laughs> You know, and that's it. You don't always get those opportunities, and sometimes those uh, present themselves. And sometimes you're just like, you know, you can just get in there and be like, "Hey, uh, I'm just going to use my six foot two white straightness and just kind of step in and be an ally if I can." Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, and again, it just goes back to the kindness thing. Yeah, you got a little, give a little. You got a lot, give a lot. There's so many companies out there that make so much fucking money and they don't give back to the communities that are helping them succeed. No. And they don't even see the irony in shooting giant cock shaped rockets into space and Mm -hmm. having that much money. It's like, could there be a bigger metaphor for too much money? Just sending your giant dick into space? Ick. Gross. (laughs) (laughs) 
No, right. thank you. So you talked about your parents a little bit, and your parents taught you uh, if you have a little, you know, give a little. Yeah. If you have a lot, give a lot. And you're yeah. you're trying to give back. Your overhead gets cut when you are dealing with COVID and, and all of a sudden you're shut into your house and you're not spending money on gasoline and car repairs and everything else. And so hotel you're giving rooms back. And, sh- and show fees and yeah. jury so fees. So who are you giving back to? I've learned a lot from a lot of my friends in Minneapolis and I'm less about charity and I'm more about mutual aid mm-hmm. because charity is like, I have all this money and I'm going to use it for a little bit of power and a little bit of clout. Whereas mutual aid would okay. be like, You are helping individuals or an organization make a community better. If you can do it, why not do it? I like to focus on indigenous groups, black groups, specifically black trans organizations, Mm -hmm. because I am a queer person and there are so many things I have to be thankful for because of black trans women and men. I'm a part of the queer community and the queer community has always had my back. So I got to turn that around and do that as well. Um, Growing up in the Pacific Northwest, a lot of my inspiration and friends and family, not blood family, is indigenous. And like the indigenous culture is something that's a part of my upbringing, even though I am totally white. And I want to make sure that those people are taken care of. One of my favorite organizations is Adopt an Elder, Mm. which is helping elder indigenous folks. They have done a lot of work in helping those artists get their art out into the public, and they do it for free. So you've got a tradition of making rugs that's about as old as dirt. Yeah. And they help these communities get their art into the eyes of more people. They also help them hold on to their tradition a little bit longer. And I think that's really important. Yeah, that's incredible. Yeah, I feel like marginalized communities need our help. I just want to help people. But also, if I can inspire someone else to be a little less selfish and a little yeah. more looking out for the people that have inspired them, loved them, taught them, support them, why the fuck not? You know, right. it's like everyone learns and a different way and a different capacity. And I think when you see someone else doing something that is good, that it resonates with those good human beings and maybe I'll catch like wildfire. And if not, maybe I can just give some money to some people who could really benefit from it. Right. And it definitely sticks out in my mind because whenever, you know, I follow you on your Instagram and I look at your stories and I always see that you're giving back to things that are are precious and and special to you. And it does inspire. I don't want to just take through my my work and and just go into these communities and take. And it's it's cool to try to, I don't know, try to connect on a deeper level with with the humans. I'm just going to I'm just going to get pissed and salty for a minute here. (laughs) Like when Jazz Fest was canceled. Yeah. And then, ooh, I don't know, a hurricane came through. And I saw online a lot of artists were like, oh, Jazz Fest is canceled. Woo, 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 woo. How about you take that fucking booth fee and you donate it to a mutual aid in Louisiana for people who have been helping you make so much fucking money at that festival? Like, do you know how far that's going to go to get people a generator so they can live in a house with lights? So the refrigerator can work like we should yeah. be giving back to these communities that we just like float through once a year. Right. Besides the whole like, well, we're going and we're spending money to for an Airbnb or we're going to restaurants. It's like, you know, we can be a little bigger than that and we can give back to the communities that 
make our job a job. Yeah. What about the communities that are just filled with rich assholes, though? Can we just take oh, from fuck them? Fuck them. Yeah. 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 <laughs> okay. Oh, I charge them extra. Yeah, oh, no discount. Repu- Republican tax, old white guy tax, <laughs> weird glasses tax. You got your gun showing tax. Go fuck yourself. I'm going to take your money and you're going right to love on. it. <laughs> you're going to come back no. for more. <laughs> Goddamn right. All right. So. Uh, let's talk about activism here and what you lived with through COVID. You were on kind of ground zero of George Floyd. And I mean, it's not even too far from where you work. Oh, it's like a half a mile from my house. Yeah. I mean, you were, you were in the shit. So talk to me a little bit about that. It was pretty wild. Yeah. I was uh, very tense. I mean, I'd never seen so many fucking guns in my entire life. And it wasn't the citizens. It was the fucking National Guard coming in, not wearing masks and fucking up our city and scaring everyone with political shenanigans. I don't know. I feel like I was on an accelerated learning track. Yeah. Um, I think what wasn't shown nationally, internationally, is the way that the community took care of their own and also didn't take any shit. Right. St. Paul Police Department, Minneapolis Police Department is one of the most dangerous organizations in the nation. They've killed so many black and brown people with zero regard for their life and zero regard for their responsibility. And I got a lot to say about that. (laughs) Bring it on. There is like unmarked vehicles pulling over in neighborhoods, getting out of their cars, shooting guns into the air and leaving. And those individuals were later found out to be police officers and people who work for the sheriff's department. It's just a bunch of shit. It is wild. And I wish that I could say that so much has changed. We're still not being heard. Black men are still being murdered by the police department here in Minneapolis. I mean, I'll say that that's part of my privilege with that. I will definitely say that as far as like the education goes, because, you know, I only know them through through Susie and through you. But I follow Sweeney Brown on social and was remembering when they were having issues with the police. I mean, I respect what they have to say online. And so I'm watching and I'm looking. But I was also like... This is totally my privilege because they're sitting there saying how much they hate the police. And I'm sitting there going, oh, why do you what's wrong with the police? What's wrong with the police? They've only helped me because you're a white guy. Yeah, sure. Look at the outfit you get to wear. Yeah. The police department was started many, many moons ago to catch slaves. It is an organization that is built on racism and power exchange. And it hasn't changed. I have called the cops. Once in my entire life, I still kind of regret it, but also someone was trying to run me over with their car and they stole my credit card, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I've, other than that, uh, uh-uh, no. Okay. No. Like, yeah. it's, uh, it's pretty eye-opening to see how much the police don't care from going to protests and watching them just, like, rip in with their pellet guns and open crowds of women, children, people, not wearing masks, not giving a shit about their community. Yeah. How was it specifically at that time? Like you're down in it. You're out there um, living it. You're still going to work, but you were out there protesting or demonstrating. There's a difference there in those those words and words we choose. But how was it being in the shit? 
uh, I mean, it was pretty exciting to go to protests and stand up for people and put my big, dumb white body in front of my friends and make sure they didn't get hurt. I'd stand in between. Yeah. I'm a barrier. Whatever. I got nothing to lose. I don't have, like, I don't have any kids. I don't have a partner. Right. What am I going to lose? Like, I would much rather put my mouth and my body in the way and also listen and learn and try and unsow the racist seeds that are in my genes and your genes and sure. all the shit that we're taught. And it was a lot. And it was exhausting and it was fucking scary but also i'm a white girl so i'm like that's not it's not scary for me because this is something i've always paid attention to but also maybe more people are paying attention to it now if you don't stand up for what you fucking believe in what are you doing yeah what it's not like if you don't stand for something, you stand for no. If you don't stand for something, you're a piece of shit. How about that? <laughs> that's. I don't think that's going to be a very popular bumper sticker. That's I don't give Betty. a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I know. That's why I love you. But it was really crazy to see the my adopted city in Minneapolis through my wife, and then my uh, city that I spent you know, 99.9% of my life in uh, erupting at the same time because we had this beautiful street of uh, pristine Confederate monuments uh, that, that all of a sudden people opened their eyes to and said, you know, wait, wait a minute, fuck this too at the, at the same time, you know, people, a lot of people of color were very aware of that. And something took all the old white people. So it took something for them to wake up and be like, whoa, hey, we just got a row of racists and rapists and pillagers. Let's burn it down. And for anybody that's listening to the podcast, too, and we talk about privilege and it might be bulking at the same like, I don't know about this. I'm like, well, here's here's a specific example of my what we call white privilege. And it's the fact that I grew up walking distance to the Confederate monuments and I would just walk my dog down there. I delivered newspapers on Monument Avenue, walk down there, see the sculptures and just think that they were pretty. They were just cool sculptures. As you pass the Confederate Museum and the Confederate Cemetery. (laughs) As you pass the Daughters of the Confederacy. Yeah, um, I forgot about those broads. It was a separate thing. Like, well, we can't actually call it the Ku Klux Klan. So let's call it the Daughters of the Confederacy instead. And so... Yeah, I mean, and and opening my eyes to that, and then the way that feels, and then to see the incredible response sculpture that went in the Kehinde Wiley in front of the Virginia Museum that was at the intersection of Monument Avenue. That was, you can see this person of color riding in the same stance of pride as you do uh, Stonewall Jackson down the road. So it was just my privilege to grow up within those and not have to think about what they meant and to just be like, eh, who cares? They're pretty. I went through a period in my life was like, nah, they're, they're history. Yeah. That doesn't mean they're right. Right. And I is mean, there any other place in history that has sculptures to the losing side? Yeah. You want to put up a fucking statue of Jeffrey Dahmer or Ted Bundy? No. Yeah. It- it's glorified yeah. in the name of America, or it's glorified or even George in the, name the Third. Of you know, and in, in, there, there's a, a really amazing painting of pulling down King George uh, after the Revolutionary War. It's like, well, there you go. It's time. Yeah, I'm glad lots of people are waking up. I mean, we all have a lot to learn. I have a lot to learn. There's tons of weird white supremacist behavior that I have to unlearn. If you can make the world a better fucking place, do it. 
If you yeah. can stand up for somebody, do it. If you can teach your old racist relatives a little something, do it. Yeah. There's small Absolutely. acts, there's big acts. Like I never thought I would live in Minneapolis for so long, ever. <laughs> but during the uprising was the first time that I felt a part of this community. And I felt welcomed into so many different communities and doing whatever I can at the moment. I don't always have money. So sometimes that means, you know, running food donations to schools or food banks or telling people about it. Like, hey, we don't all have money. Sometimes you can just like take a load of groceries, get money from your homies, get money from your rich racist relatives and go spend it on money for diapers for the community. Why not? And, you know, if if people are listening to this and they agree with some of the things that you've said or disagree with it, fuck it. it, it, it at the end of the day, what we're boiling it down to is, is why can't you be a little bit more kind? Yeah. Right? I mean, isn't that what it's all about? Just try and be a damn decent human being. And also, like, it's never too late to unlearn something. Never. It's like never yeah. too late to unravel something. Even if you're a racist on your deathbed, it's okay to be wrong. I promise. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and even like we were talking about this just the other day, we were talking about like, uh, you know, like you can think that your parents aren't racist and then they'll drop a, well, he's very well spoken on you. And it's like, well, he's very well spoken. Did you just say like that? What the fuck was that? that. That's Hopefully, yeah. Yeah. Like that, yeah. that don't, do you not realize that that's a racist statement? Oh, you sound so ignorant for a white person. <laughs> like, you, you didn't say that about Jane Pauly. Why are you saying it about Oprah? Hard eye roll for those of you who couldn't see that hard <laughs> eye roll. I don't know, but I feel like we could actually hear the eye roll. I know. Like we could actually, it won't like, stop you twitching okay? now. <laughs> I saw the bottoms of your white. Jesus. I mean, that's a small act of love is uh, teaching your racist relatives when they say something racist. I mean, I was always, uh, may not believe this, but I got in trouble a lot at the dinner table for telling my dad to <laughs> shut the fuck up and not use a certain word. And he's like, I'm telling the story. I'm like, I don't give a shit about your fucking story. You can't talk like that. You can't say things like that. Yeah. It's 2020. Like, I unlearn things all the time. Absolutely. You know, I remember if, hearing. Yeah, I remember actually this. I remember it really clearly because my my racist old grandparents and uh, family aunts and uncles were sitting around the dinner table and I was young and I heard the N word for the first time. And I walked up to my grandfather and I asked him what it was. And I got a huge laugh and he just stopped talking and he stopped telling the story and came and talked to me later. He's like, look, you were not being raised with that. And I remember him apologizing for it. And I had a, like having a long time. I was probably like nine or 10 and having a conversation with my grandfather about, I don't know. It's just those kind of things. I don't know why it, I do know why it, it sticks in my memory, but it's, it's amazing what we have grown up with that yeah. you don't think of, you yeah. know, that you just live with. Or like it continues to happen. And like, I'd shut that shit down at the dinner table and everyone else at the dinner table would be like, Oh, you're being so rude. I'm like, I'm, I'm not the one mm. saying racist words or homophobic words at a table where almost half of your children are queer. Right? Dad, mom, like, no, you know, when I came out to my dad, when I was like 
16 years old, I was like, what would you do if I brought a girl home? He's like, you bring girls home all the time. I'm like, no, like if I liked her, like her, he's like, like if you wanted a neck in the back of a car at a movie. And I'm like, God. yeah, dad. He goes, well, <laughs> that depends. Is that on what? He goes, well, I don't really care who you date. You could date a man. You could date a woman. You could date a trans person. He didn't use those words, but we're just going to go with it. Sure. You could date black, brown, yellow, purple. I don't care. As long as they got a boat. <laughs> as long as they got a boat? He's like, you can marry whoever you want, baby. As long they as they got fishing? a Right, right. My dad's a oh. fisherman. He's just like, he loves fishing. He's just, he's never done it for a living. He's done it to feed his family. He's done it you for fun. You know what? You can find common ground. Sometimes it's fishing, I guess, right? I know. And I'm like, well, what kind of boat, dad? I got to make sure. That-. He's like, I don't give a <laughs> fuck. It could, be, it could be a rowboat. It could be a canoe or a kayak. Shit. It could be a blow up Coleman raft from Target. <laughs> I don't care. As long That's as amazing. they got a boat. That's okay. Which was, you know, you know pretty different it, from how my brother's coming out was. And I'm like, Dad, did you forget that conversation? Because it's still true. Like, I was yeah. very young when I knew. It wasn't a fun teenage life, let me tell you. Oof. But Yeah, you know, I bet. Did he come out when you were you were much younger? Like, when you're, like, I high mean, school age? or Yeah, to my parents. Well, to my dad, not to my mom. She couldn't. I, yeah. She's got so many weird, deeply rooted things that she learned from her mother that she hasn't unlearned just like many of our parents sure. from different generations but like i don't know i've always been a fucking weirdo i've always been <laughs> queer when i was in high school i got called all the bad names in the world dyke queer butch cunt you name it it was thrown at me and i just oh <sighs> Sometime I learned to be like a duck and just let it roll off my back because we're all going to have different opinions about each other and some are more vocal, but I don't really give a shit. I'm just going to be who I am. And (laughs) if that's me all by myself in the end, in a dinghy. (laughs) (laughs) Back to the boat. Common ground. If even if your common ground is a boat, it's got right? it's got to go somewhere, right? <laughs> if your common ground's on water, <laughs> <laughs> that's that's right. Oh Jesus! I wanted to get down into it with you more than I wanted to hear about life story and and uh, but your life story is interesting too. I started making jewelry at a very young age out of whatever I could get my hands on, and then realized. After somebody told me I couldn't go to college because they didn't have money for it and I couldn't uh-huh. make jewelry for a living, I had always done it for myself right? as a, uh, I don't know, an outlet for my feelings because I had a lot of feelings Yeah, and uh, found a school in Minneapolis in, a, in the back of a magazine. Remember magazines? Yeah. So are, you went to like a trade school? Yeah, I went to, uh, I moved from Tacoma to Minneapolis to go to Minneapolis Community and Technical College. Very cool. I feel like a lot of people, it's, it's a disregarded kind of way to way to earn a trade. Absolutely. I have been looked down upon in the big fancy arts community because I went to a technical college. When people are like, oh, did you go to MCAD? Did you move to Minneapolis? And I'm like, fuck no. You think I got that kind of money? <laughs> I think that there's this weird, don't get me wrong. Education and every single different type of form and way that you get an education is extremely important. 
Yep. I don't think anyone should be poo-pooed for how they gained that education. No way. I realized that it, my parents were basically like, college is paid for. Don't worry. You go wherever you want. And then when it was my turn, youngest of four, they're like, oh, we don't have money. So you're not going to college. And I'm like, yeah. ah. so I found a school and got a lot of jobs and packed yeah. all my shit up and took a train to Minneapolis and took a chance. And Amazing. I went to MCTC because... It was uh, one of two schools in the nation that taught gemology and diamond grading. And Very the other cool. school was like $65,000 a semester. And I was like, what can we do for like two grand? What can we do for like- <laughs> Right. Yeah. How I'm much like, for a snip? I'm like the Bruce Springsteen, John Cougar Mellencamp of jewelry making. Like, well, yeah. I've got a, I'm not sure if my collar is blue or my neck is red. But a little of both. Maybe a little bit of both. Yeah. So I come from a family of talkers. I'm sure you could be very surprised at that. I don't know what you're talking about. This is this is news. Just I've met your a, sister. Make a couple friends when I leave the house. So Definitely. I figured, you know, I bet if somebody gave me the technical skills to do this, that I could come up with the creative shit and I could use my mouth to get me where I needed to go. So Went to MCTC, working for Corporate America, Borders, Books, and Music. Okay. I put on some fancy clothes, i.e. lots of cleavage and too much jewelry. <laughs> went downtown just talking to jewelry stores to see what kind of credentials I would need from a college to work at a jewelry store. And everyone was like, oh, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? <laughs> and I walked into Studio Vincent and there was some lady with leather pants on and and she basically shoved an application down my throat. Very cool. Like, this is for the studio. Here. Yeah, this was for Studio yeah. Vincent. And I was like, she's like, no, you should work here. And I was like, I'm perfectly happy working with my job for corporate. I'm like, I'll take that application. Yeah. Maybe. Was this the downstairs? Did you work downstairs first, like in the showroom? Or did you get a job working on the floor with, with Steve Vincent first? Oh, I started at the bottom and worked my way up. So this was sure. when he had a gallery space in Gavide Commons and it was like super uh, like glass walls and teeny tiny. Yeah, yeah. So I worked at the gallery and then worked my way into an apprenticeship. I worked as a salesperson and I was okay. his best I was the best salesperson he ever had and he told me that. Right on. I I can sell I can sell some stuff. <laughs> That's, I can yes sell you some can stuff. Yeah. And I think I told him that that was my like I was like I want to be a goldsmith and I want to do an apprenticeship. And I don't know if that's in the cards, but if you give me a chance, I won't do you wrong. I was so dedicated and I gave my 20s to that man. Yeah. Like I didn't drink on Friday nights because Saturday was when couples would come in and nobody wants mm. to buy an $8,000 engagement ring to someone who smells like the Triple Rock or First Avenue. <laughs> nobody. Nobody. So, I mean, I was a, I feel like none of my friends would recognize me from the, I had platinum blonde hair and I wore pantyhose and high (laughs) heels and skirts and dresses and shit. Yeah. And Victoria was my secret. And And if you don't know Betty now, now she's, she's more cowgirl boots and and booty shorts. Really, (laughs) I mean, I could live my life in jeans and a t-shirt or short shorts and boots. That's right. my I don't need to I'm not trying to fake anyone anymore. I don't need to put on a dress for nobody. Oh, you're not putting on airs? Is that is that Betty's not 
So tell so, me a little bit about sales. Like what makes you a good salesperson? Drop some truth on me as far as this goes. Uh, I kind of hate the term salesperson because I feel like I imagine like middle-aged dude with a comb over and a pinky yeah. ring that's either going right. to sell you a bad car or give you a venereal disease. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I feel like a lot of artists are really good at being an artist, and some of them can't sell their work. I think that the secret to my success is I I don't bullshit. If mm-hmm. I don't like you, it's probably very aware on my face that I don't like you. I'm a really bad liar, so that might make me a good salesperson, but I yeah. also think that it might be easy to be around me, however you Definitely. are, whoever you are. Yeah. Like, I'm not a discriminatory person to the furthest of my knowledge. So I think that maybe people are at ease, but also I'm excited about what I do. And I always have been. And I think uh, working at Studio Vincent as a salesperson for so long, asking people for so much money for things. Yeah. Got me really comfortable and being like, kind of romancing the stone being like, when people are like, how much is this? I'm not going to be like, this is $8,000. I'm going to be like, oh, this is made of platinum with a carrot and a half of diamonds. <sighs> you want to learn something cool? You should see how this fucking thing is made. You should see the hammer that you got to use to do this. Like, blah, blah, blah. I feel like I love to go on adventures, and sometimes I take people on adventures with jewelry. It's not just yeah. a piece of jewelry. Like, it's a little part of my story. And uh, I think that that excitement and that, like, hard-on, for what you're doing and how you're doing it makes a really big difference to people instead of like, you know, my shit doesn't look like anybody else's. It's unique. Maybe I'm a little unique. I don't know. Oh, you think? Maybe a little bit? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I know artists that are really good at sales, like classic, almost used car sales. And I don't think they do as well as the, the people who are going after the honest connection. And that's what I'm trying to do. And I know that's what you do. And it's like, okay, let's, let's tell some stories. Mm-hmm. Let's get down into it. Let's, mm-hmm. let's talk about the, who I am, who I'm, I'm trying to be. I always feel like I just have my worst show of the year is usually my first show of the year because I just haven't really, I, I've forgotten how to talk to people. Yeah. You're a little squeaky. The wheels are a little squeaky. Yeah. It's like a, it's like a big bottle of WD-40. Yeah, definitely. <laughs> and sometimes it's a, you know, big old bottle of maker's mark but you gotta open yourself up the way you can and it's (laughs) it's just gonna i don't know i I, and i appreciate that about you because i when i did first meet you it was definitely more of a ah shit i know you and it's like you just lay it all out you know and it's kind of like ah okay i and there's very few people i was lucky enough to meet uh, my wife that way. And it's like this recognition. And I always say that about her. I'm like, oh, shit, I think my wheels are going to fit your cogs. It's just and it's that yeah. kind of honesty that I appreciate about you laying it all out on the line. I just put my cards out on the table. That's why I'm not a yeah. good poker player. Somebody recently was like, what are you not good at? I'm like, drinking <laughs> and lying. <laughs> That's Those are great things not to be good at. Good at laughing, good at connecting with people. I That's... look like I can hold a lot of booze, but I'm a fucking lightweight. <laughs> also, <laughs> I don't need liquor to have a good time. I can have a no good time. No way. Sober as a jaybird. Usually I'm stoned, though. But I, I'm, you know, <laughs> I mean, I'm really surprised no one's been like, oh, for a good time call, I've called you before. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I've seen that. Number. Oh, yeah. 
recognize that number, that. that number looks familiar. <laughs> hey, here's something that you brought up early on in the conversation that I wanted to circle back to. You said something about not feeling ready to apply to shows because you felt like the work you had was not current. Man, is that some horseshit? Just apply. Okay. Yeah. I also feel so rusty. I mean, literally the last show I did was yeah. Baltimore 2020. I don't know. There's this weird looming, like, do I have to reinvent the wheel? Like, right. do I need a new display? Do I have to go buy a new tent? Do I need to make new tables? Probably not. No way. I don't know. It's like Mark Marin. I was listening to one of his comedy bits about, he was talking about exercise and getting back in shape and whatever. And he's like, ah, I need to lose like whatever, blah, blah, blah. And he's like, he always tricks himself into thinking he's got to buy the magic pants or the magic shoes that are actually going to make him do the shit that he has to do. It's like, and I know a lot of artists do that with a magic booth. You know, Matthew Nafsker, he and I talk about mm-hmm. booths and things on him. Like, I mm-hmm. always want to tell him, you don't need the magic booth. You don't need the new magic table. Just get out there and sell your shit. You'll be all right. I mean, you've seen my setup. My setup's like, all right, well, if somebody leans on this table, it's not going to fall over. And <laughs> if uh, shit hits the fan and a tornado whips through, I can just like all this into a backpack and i'm good i don't want a fancy you setup. definitely could but your setup has a certain style to it and you have a certain branding to your to your work that that works for you and and it's all yeah. um you i can go grab your your most expensive piece off of your table pretty much and that. just look at <laughs> yeah but uh, we're talking artists here but you know you've got yeah. it like you lay it all out on the table as far as your yourself you put all your shit out on the table as it is it's like i you know i've picked up some of your work before and be like oh my god i'm just holding a 3500 piece you know i can't just but you also know. you just went up a weight class and that's like eight ounces of fucking silver. And yeah, like exactly. you could break somebody's teeth. Not only is Heck it jewelry, yeah. but it's a statement to fuck <laughs> around and find out. You could you could you know, this is on a chain long yeah. enough. You could make somebody lose a te- tooth if they're fucking with you from <laughs> yeah. six feet away. You remember the piece I picked up. <laughs> <laughs> But, you know, it's just it's it's all out there and you're laying it all out there and it's it's all part of your style, too. So and I appreciate that being pretty. And I know you work on it, but it's pretty well realized. It seems like from the shell, you emerged pretty much fully realized. Thank you. I feel like jewelry is one of those things that I hear a lot standing behind that table of people being like, I don't like jewelry. And it's like, OK, please consider jewelry's art. And there's lots of art. And when there's so much jewelry... That means there's so much ugly shit <laughs> right. that's yeah. been done a million times before. So, like, maybe you just haven't found the right jewelry yet. It's also this weird, right. like, accessibility thing where people are like, oh, expensive stuff. I don't want to touch it. And that's kind of one of the reasons why I lay it all out on the table, except for, like, I have two cases where, like, I would cry for maybe too long if one of those pieces got stolen. So they go in the case. But And you've had it happen, too. Haven't we all? I know that fucking, Kentucky story. Fucking Chester. His name was Chester. Tell, like, it late. Tell us a story. He took my jewels. You know, uh, it was one of those things when you sell higher end items, as you know, Mm -hmm. sometimes people have to come visit it a couple times in an art show. Right. So then you're like, you're like, oh, you're back. You're back to like maybe buy something. He was scoping out the case. He talked to me. We had conversations. He told me how much he liked my jewelry and he was uh, scoping out my shit. 
and waited till I went to the bathroom. My assistant was there and uh, stole maybe like four pieces that amounted to about $5,000. And I came back from the bathroom and my friend Jules was like, oh, your buddy Chester came back. And I'm like, oh, what was he looking at? And she's like, oh, no. And I'm like, the pieces that aren't here. And she's like, oh, my God, girl, I'm so sorry. I'm like, fuck. He hit three other artists, three other jewelry artists at that show. He picked, like, the biggest, heaviest silver pieces. I told the show directors, and they're like, we're going to call the cops. I'm like, don't call the fucking cops. I don't want to call the cops. I don't want to call the cops. Like, they're like, but how? I'm like, cops don't need this to handle. I I don't believe in the cops. I just want my shit back. I don't want anyone to go to jail. I don't want to ruin anyone's life because they made a poor decision to fuck with the wrong bitch. Generous of Um, you, because I sure as hell like to catch their leg outside the car door. I mean, you know... I would love to find them in person because little do they know I have a photogenic memory. And if I ever see them again, I'm not a violent person, but I am prepared and words cut deeper and truer sometimes. (laughs) I did find out, I feel like I didn't tell anyone this, but a year after that happened, I went back to Louisville to do the same show. And I went to a gallery downtown Lulu, um, which is like a strip in Louisville there's probably like five or six smaller galleries there. And yeah. this woman was like, oh, don't you just love Louisville? And everybody's just so nice and trusting. And I was like, actually, <laughs> fuck no, I don't. Let me tell you. And she's like, oh, Chester. And I was like, Chester? <laughs> Did she know Chester? What? She's like, older man. I was like, yeah, it looks like a short mama's boy version of Fred Armisen from SNL. And she's like, yeah. Oh my God, that motherfucker. And I was like, tell me what you know. He's known in in Louisville. He really likes to steal really big, heavy silver pieces. And who knows if he's like reselling them or just hoarding them. Uh, He kept hitting the same like four galleries and they kept calling the cops and the cops didn't do anything because they didn't have proof. So they set up their own surveillance and caught him and he went to jail. Did they catch him? Mm -hmm. No shit. Mm -hmm. Did, did, Did he ever find out what happened to your stuff? No, because I didn't. Because huh. they didn't pl- follow the rules and file a police report. Uh. <laughs> I mean, it's just stuff, right? It's just stuff. Uh, Nobody got. It's, hurt. But it's part of your. He made it a is. connection. Yeah, you it know? is. And I, I mean, I mean, it would feel different if he didn't treat me like a human being. If and if I didn't treat him like a potential client, also right. a human fucking being. Like, don't lie right. to me. Don't be a dirt bag. I don't know if there is a lesson because I really don't want to put my jewelry in a case. It's just like the same thing when people are like, oh, so you have a gun. I'm like, fuck no. I don't want to live in a world where I feel like I need a gun to do my job, to just be another human being who sometimes happens to have a 75 pound sack of jewelry that costs about (laughs) $250,000. Like, you know, my daddy taught me to walk like people shouldn't fuck with me. And also maybe get a really big knife and put it right where my best largest asset is which is my bottom um (laughs) (laughs) i've seen your jewels too you can you know if you're wearing any of that shit you can you can stand up for yourself i mean part of me is like oh please try and steal this bag you'll take two steps i wish a bitch would and with my four and a half foot long legs i'll just kick your dumb ass over and you can just turtle out just (laughs) turtle out (laughs) 
<laughs> I will never put uh, my jewelry in a rolling bag because that makes it too easy. I hear you. We yeah. all hide our shit, but we got to be. We got to watch out for each other. We all do different things with the baby. The baby comes yep. with us. The you books. Know. <laughs> yeah. Can I carry your books for you? So, we watch out for each other, though. Walking pairs. You know, we do. Also, I will put this out there. Hey, artist friends, if you are a non-jewelry artist and you have some friends that make jewelry, check in on them. See Dude, if they want an escort to their car. See right? If, see if, like, if you can spare an extra 35 minutes in your day to wait till they pack up and make sure that they get to their car. I am a big girl and I can fucking take care of myself, but that does not mean I don't appreciate the company or someone looking out for me. Absolutely. You know and also, mean? yeah, I totally know what you mean. I mean also, of the course duty. you know what I mean, because you have Susan. And uh, I mean, definitely. Oh God, I would rip someone's head off with my teeth if they ever fucked with Susie, because she's <laughs> she not as big and scary as me. <laughs> she could be scary when she wants to, but I oh, know what I know. you mean. Oh, I know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> But no, that's like that's a huge point. Um, you know, people talk about jewelers rolling up in their cars and they can set the show up in, you know, a few hours without the big display and you can roll, you know, she's rolled in in a, in a little Volvo hatchback. People are like, oh my God, here comes a jeweler. But at the same time, you're sticking around an hour after the fact and... And I'm getting there two hours early and I have urinary tract infections constantly because i can't just leave my fucking booth unattended yeah take another break and then go talk to your jeweler neighbors and let them go to the bathroom if you're selling 2d that doesn't walk away or check in you're next to a jeweler and you see they're by themselves be like hey uh i am here with my partner and one of us can check you out you know watch you for a while or whatever you need to take a break just let us know so feel free to uh use the restroom or get your period because we've got your back right <laughs> jesus especially your women jeweler friends yeah <laughs> next time you feel like being like oh you jewelers you just roll in here and you knock that shit off right. we are all in the same boat we all want everyone to have a really good show like i have been sized up by so many people like oh you're a fucking jeweler it's like listen no asshole way. do you would you how would you like to take your entire tent and your entire livelihood and pack it up and put it in a backpack and carry it around every day. Right. And maybe if not go party with your friends because you got $250,000 sitting in your hotel room. Like, right. I have never personally forgotten my um, entire body of work in a backpack in a bar. But I know it's possible for you guys. Oh, it's not possible for me, but <laughs> it's probably a reason why I don't drink so much anymore either. Yeah. Never come close, but it's like, you know, let's all just look out for each other. Uh, when you got precious little expensive things that are sometimes heavy, I don't know. Just, you know, just look out for each other. Quit giving the jewelers a hard fucking time. Yeah, absolutely. I don't give other artists a hard time for their medium. I just give no them way. a hard time for being homophobic oh, <laughs> crab apples like yeah. oh, also anybody out there at a show and i'm at a show and some your neighbor's giving you shit call me i will set them straight i'm not scared of anyone i've done it before just be nice to each other that's all that matters and if not call me <laughs> and i'll or make them too. be nice yeah <laughs> in case you didn't know my favorite movie is roadhouse so 
Be nice. Be nice. Until it's time to not be nice. I love you, Betty. I love you too. (laughs) Thanks for coming on the show. I appreciate you more than you know. I miss y'all. Give Susie a big squeeze for me, okay? I'm going to go do it right now. I love you, Betty. Thanks again. Love you too, Will. Bye. 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 (laughs) That's a different podcast ending. Awesome talk with Betty, Will. I really enjoyed what you guys had to say. Yeah, no apologies from Betty. She is who she is, and you get what you get. Mm. I like the part of her talk where she's talking about people who have lived their lives with privileges that they don't even realize that they have. You can kind of feel this sense lately uh, with where we are. This kind of like this impatience. Everyone's so like impatient and and angry. And there was a story that I wanted to share that happened uh, this weekend at the Grove. And it involved some of our good friends of the pod, Amy Carstensen and, and Daphne Covington. They're packing up the show. At the end of the show, they're getting all their stuff into the van. And we look down and they're about 10, 10, 12 booths down from us. And there is this huge altercation, this shouting match. And I see these two ladies just like, hurrying and scurrying in and out of their van, just trying to like avoid this deal. Well, what happened is one of the food vendors had their food truck hooked up to their their truck and they pull right up to where Daphne and Amy are and they want to exit where their van is at at the curb. And they had just like- through them? They want to just go- Basically drive through them and they wanted them to move their van and they wanted them to move now. And neither one of them want any kind of confrontation. And Hmm. they were like, we just have one or two more things to throw in the van. We'll be out of the way. But this wasn't fast enough for this privileged asshole. So it just so happened right at that timing, a security guard who wasn't going to take any bullshit from anyone was there. (laughs) And he said, you guys finish packing up. I've got this. And this shouting match between these, these two guys was intense and it was vehement. And I'm so glad that they got out of there without any like any fists being thrown. But nowadays, you don't know if a gun's going to get pulled, if someone's right. – I mean, if, if it's going to go to blows. But ultimately, the idea was that this guy wanted out and he wanted them to move because he wanted out and it was his time. So, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I'm glad that that person stepped in so that they didn't – so that Amy and Daft didn't have to stop what they were doing. Right. But um, I ain't fucking with Amy and Daft. <laughs> <laughs> you want to stay on their good side. There's nobody I love more than those guys, but it's like, man, they can stick up for themselves. That guy was in trouble if he kept pushing it. Yeah, but I think he was really trying to throw his privilege around and just boss them the heck around. And it's just not right. It's just not right at all. So nope. I messaged them the next day because I was wondering if we needed to go over there as you know an artist community to help them out. But when I saw that the security guard was the one who was doing the yelling, I thought, okay, maybe they're not even involved. Maybe Daff and Amy aren't even involved in this deal. So I, right. I, out of curiosity, I texted her the next day and I said, was that aimed at you? And she told me the whole entire story. And I said, well, I, I'm glad that you weren't like 
in the conflict that you were just conflict adjacent for that whole situation. <laughs> that she's yeah, conflict you know, adjacent. Yes. <laughs> haven't we all been there? I mean, there's always some kind of kind of breakdown. I remember doing a show in uh, South Carolina, Adelaide. I was doing that show, and it's a tough breakdown. You have to do mm. a lot of dollying to get out of this cool little castle that's there. On you know, there was a literally a hurricane coming in, and we were getting the outer rings of this hurricane. And my neighbor, who he and I had had a great weekend he's he's like but pulled right in front of the back of my van couldn't okay. even open the back of my van i'm like brian what the what what's the going fuck? on he's yeah. like well, i've got to get my workout <laughs> it's like oh, well okay, okay. Uh, you know people i don't know it, it all becomes me 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 sometimes we need to step back and be like do a little reality check here you know, when yep. we start finding our impatience and our what about me meter going through the roof, we need to take a deep breath and say, OK, it's all about all of us. We all need to make this work together. Right. That's this a little the, kumbaya. The, the, is that how you're going to bring us out there? Take, take this to the... All right. It's the singing portion of the podcast. That means it's over, ladies and gentlemen. All Thank right. you for tuning in to another Independent Artist Podcast. I'll see you next time. Who do we have on the docket, Douglas? Next episode, we have another Minneapolis native, Kimber Bigger, the bronze Humpty Dumpty lady. I went to her gallery and studio and got immersed in Kimber's world, and it was just – it was a lot of fun. So – that's awesome. I've admired Kimber's work for uh, many years, and it'll be interesting to hear the talk for, well, I've heard it, but it'll be interesting for everybody else to hear it uh, <laughs> next time. We'll see you folks in a couple of weeks. Be, uh, be safe out there on the road. Be good to each other. Don't block each other's vans. and Don't be an asshole. There we go. <laughs> All right. Bye, guys. This podcast is brought to you by the National Association of Independent Artists. The website is naiaartists.org. Also sponsored by Zapplication. That's zapplication.org. And while you're at it, check out Will's website at willarmstrongart.com and my website at sigwithglass.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast to be notified when we release new episodes. 